Hello, and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host, Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Before we start with today's episode with Fatima Uzgar, I just wanted to take a quick second to talk about Queering Daisy's origins and a little bit of support that we need from you now. Queering Daisy started as a show that I recorded in our living room, and I only expected my close friends and family to tune into. I thought we'd do, you know, a few episodes, and I would chat with a few of my friends and role models, and that would be that. But I had no idea what it took to make a podcast, let alone how essential telling our own stories and our own words was. Today, with 20 episodes thus far, we have blown past tens of thousands of listens globally, and our social media following is more robust than ever. But the truth is, we are here and Queering DC is what it is because of you and you alone. We want to grow this podcast and to know what we know it can be, and we need your help. I can no longer work on all the recording and production and marketing all on my own, and we'd like to hire some editors, preferably QTPOC, to help on both production and social media sides with much more ahead, like merchandise, screenings, panels, videos, all aimed at upping the visibility of South Asian LGBTQ plus people everywhere without sacrificing editorial control for advertising dollars. So we recently launched a Patreon page. You can visit us at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Queering Daisy to read more about our initial goals. As this community has taught me over and over again, it takes a village. And now we turn to you, our listeners, for a new way to be able to show your support. And we know financial support is a privilege, so if you're able to contribute, that's great. And if not, that's cool, too. We have a bunch of affordable tiers starting from $1 a month. And the higher you go, the more perks you get. Some include things like stickers or T-shirts. And for the entire month of Pride, you'll also receive a personally addressed postcard from me as a thank you. I encourage you to visit our Patreon page to read more about our initial goals. Again, it's patreon.com slash But I just want to say we're thankful that you're here. And we're open to feedback and comments always. So thank you for making this dream a reality. And without much further ado, here's Fatima Asgar. All right. This week on Queering Daisy, we have Fatima Asgar. And you all may be familiar with her work, but Fatima, welcome to the show. And uh, if you can just take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and your pronouns. Yeah, my name is Fatima Asgar. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm a writer and an artist. That's definitely uh, one way to put it. I feel like you're a creator of so much art and things in the world. Would you deem that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I wanted to start with Brown Girls. I feel like when the show came out on the web, like I just heard so much buzz around it. And I think a lot of the appeal initially just to me was the fact that we hadn't seen a lot of representation, both of just brown bodies, but like queerness as well and Muslim identities as well. Can you talk a little bit about what was the inspiration for the show or how it came about? Yeah, I mean, I think that I felt like I just didn't always get to see uh, friendships that reflected my friends in media. And I wanted to make something that um, my friends could feel seen by. And so for the characters in particular, though, I've known in previous interviews, you've talked about 
it being kind of loosely based on your life. Can you talk a little bit about how your identities kind of fueled a vision for the show or even just the characters as well? Yeah, I mean, so I'm Kashmirian, Pakistani and Muslim and queer. And so that kind of fueled a lot of the one of the protagonists as to um, her identity, uh, Layla. And um, kind of wanting to just give a little bit of space to that and not seeing that happen. Or, you know, I don't even think it's about not seeing that happen a lot. It just kind of was a thing of just being like, oh, this is who I am. So if I'm writing something, this kind of makes sense to, you know, have this character embody these identities. But I think for me, there's kind of a way in which I think a lot of times when people want to talk about the show and when they want to talk about my work, a lot of their kind of questions are around identity and like less about things like craft or about story and more about, which I think is the thing that happens to people of color a lot. But, you know, for me, I think it was kind of a thing where I was like, it wasn't like I was being like, oh my God, this has never been seen before. And I'm going to do this. It was just like, you know, these are characters that are based off of me and my friends who exist. And while their identity is important, like that's not um, the sole driving factor of their lives and of what they're doing. Like they're just kind of people, you know, who have these identities. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I agree about the point you make about craft and story. I think that that's important too. And I'd love to get into that. I just, I also feel like, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I feel like with, for example, this podcast, like I feel like having the internet in this age where growing up, at least I didn't, it was very like social media wasn't a thing. Do you think like having the freedom of a medium was any kind of factor for you? And how did you craft that story for a web series specifically or for, or to be able to show it on screen? If you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the what like web series and short form digital content allow like allows a lot of opportunity for freedom and for play, right? It's like a kind of way for creators to make something without having to ask for permission to make it first. And you know, I remember when I wrote the web series and then I did a stage reading of it where I invited a bunch of different people to come, and there was a producer who came, um, and she said this thing where she was like oh, I just think you should add some white people because I just don't think that like any network would have like any interest in the show if there's like no white people in it. And I just remember being like, A, this is not why I'm making the show. I'm not making it for network interest. And B, like, absolutely not. That's like not what I'm, you know, what the show is trying to do. And also like, why would I do that in a web series or digital space? You know what I'm saying? Like when that allows you the freedom of play and the freedom of doing whatever you want, like why like, tighten it by like industry standards, you know, when that's like not really what you need to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's something that POCs and queer and trans folks face as well as like the systemic idea. So I, I wonder for you as a creator, like how that's come up for you in terms of like the story you just mentioned, but now, you know, this is going to a network or even when it comes to your writing, like, do you feel like you come up against these systemic oppressions and how do you kind of deal with that? I feel like For example, for me, like if I come across like 10 microaggressions a day, there's not like maybe 90% of the time I I don't speak up for it or I can't defend myself or I feel unsafe in certain situations. Like as an activist, sometimes I feel the onus of like I should be able to say something or speak up for this and I'm not always able to. Do you feel any of that kind of systemic pressure when you're putting your work out there? I feel like a lot of pressure from a lot of different things. And I think that's just the nature of being an artist and particularly the nature of working in a media that's as hyper visible as like TV and film. Like, I think that there's kind of a way when I, I do a lot of different mediums and, you know, in poetry, again, there's this kind of sense of freedom because it's like, 
this feeling of just the amount of people who are reading it are is just inherently less, you know? And what I noticed was when we made this web series, the amount of people who were consuming it just was way more than I anticipated. Um, and it was because of the medium, right? It's because like, like watching something, it's easier for folks to access that than it is for a book, you know? Um, and so then instantly I kind of noticed things. I, like I noticed people grafting things onto my show and the characters that just wasn't that I didn't think was there. And I was like, Oh, this is so strange because I didn't create it with the intention of being like, this is a representational show. You know, like I created it Mm -hmm. like these are characters I care about and they occupy these identities. And then I think it kind of got like a lot of times people will talk about it purely as representational, which I don't think is true. And I don't think it's true for any show. Right. I think it's like a little bit of a danger when, when we start to do that. So there's definitely pressure. I feel in that sense. And there's pressure that I feel that like comes from the outside industry of like, Oh, like, what is it? You know, like there's just so many different kinds of that. Like you get that from the kind of more standard industry microaggressions and even having to explain certain things just around basic queerness where you're like, why am I constantly explaining this? You know, um, like why are all these assumptions being made so quickly about these characters? And, and they're, they're very like defined and, which I just think is like not, re- you know, queerness is such a space of flexibility and possibility that it's so strange sometimes to have these like really, really stringent definitions. Um, you know, so I think that you get that from from the industry and then you also kind of get it from folks who uh, like from critics or from people who are kind of putting something onto the show that um, maybe isn't there. So I feel that, but I also think that as an artist, it's and part of being an artist is like a lifelong un- figuring out of how you can block out your own mental space. So you're not being consumed by some of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then that's tough. I think your point about representation is something I want to follow up on. Like, I feel like visibility, especially with doing this podcast and kind of putting myself out there as just this host of this, like, I think the visibility, like I see the need for it and that the latching on that you kind of mentioned. But I I wonder if you can elaborate on your your ideas about representation and kind of how that might box creators in versus ways that we in the communities want to uplift our narratives and might latch on to words like representation or ideas of what it means to be visible. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and this is the thing, this is different from when you're talking about when I speak like an artist, right? So I don't really care about like, how the industry or media or whatever speaks, because that's not what my goal is. Does that make sense? And so I think sometimes when critics or industry are talking about representation, they're talking about wanting to have more shows that have people of color, that have queer characters at the center, that have women in strong roles, that have, you know, that have like disabled folks, that have, you know, trans folks, just like a, a wider range of versions of humanity that we have not seen on traditionally on mainstream media, right? right? That's great. Like that's totally legit. And I think is like really, really important and should happen, right? Like I think we are very, I'm very tired of kind of constantly seeing the same narratives told from the same perspectives and feeling like the standards and the way the how hard it is for people of color and people of marginalized backgrounds to get into the industry are just the barriers against us are so intense. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's kind of wild. So I think that that's like what I want to say about, you know, in terms of thinking about the way that folks talk. Now, when you're a creator, right? I think it's so whack and it's so dangerous to be like, I'm writing this character is here for representation's sake or for a representational thing, because how can you possibly make a character if you're already like putting something onto them that you're doing with like an ulterior motive? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I kind of feel like there's this way in which like sometimes creators, you know, maybe they're not from the backgrounds of their characters, or maybe they just like don't have access to those communities, but they'll be like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we put in like an X Brown character here? And then that character ends up being kind of flat and only there to serve a representational purpose. That to me is like super dangerous, right? Like that to me feels like it's not um, well thought out and it doesn't do those characters justice. It's just like kind of whack, you know? Um, And I think that as a creator, you're creating characters that you care about, right? And like their identity influences every single facet of their being because when you walk through the world, your identity influences every single facet of your being, right? Right. But if you're only thinking about them in terms of like their identity traits, then I think you have a problem, right? I think that like you're not going to make a nuanced character. And I think you're going to kind of come up with something that's a little bit tokenizing or a little bit like flat. So I think that it just, in terms of like a creative standpoint, if you're coming at it from that philosophy, I think it's really dangerous, right? Now, my work is always going to have like people of color or queer people of color, right? And that's because that's like the communities that I come from. Like I, I, my world does not exist without these people, right? And, and without myself included. And so my characters will like inherently have that, right? And that's, but that's like different than coming at it from like, I'm doing this for a representational standpoint, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's very valid. And I think that, I think that becomes, at least for me, I felt like it's been somewhat of a hurdle of just like, I can only know what I know. And that's the lens that you're kind of referring Mm -hmm. to. But I feel like, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I feel like for me, it's not so much the tokenizing that like I go into spaces, right. As a creative and I'm like, I'm the only, you know, queer trans person here. I'm the only South Asian person here. And the onus like falls on me. I don't know if that you can relate to that at all, but I think that's also what made your characters in Brown Girls so appealing to me personally, not only because I saw myself in them, but I shared that kind of worldview. And I feel like as queer people and as South Asian people and all the other identities we hold, like how do we bring that into spaces and into our creativity without making it the thing about us is something I wrestle with a lot as well. Whereas like you're saying, it's going to be part of me and my identity and how I look at the world, but how can I be in spaces and not only be known for that or not only it's what I know, but not only uplift that identity or, or be limited by that as well as a queer South Asian person. Yeah. And I think what it is though, is I I think so often folks are taught and thought about identity as a painful thing. It's like, oh, I am this because I am other, or I am marginalized in this way. And like, really what I feel is actually my identities come from a really, like, I find them to actually be from a really like freeing and loving place. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love being a queer person of color. I love being South Asian. You know what I mean? I love being Muslim. And it's those things in which like, I feel like, I think that like, especially folks who are not us will often kind of have this air of like, oh, wow, that must be so hard to be both these things and blah, blah, blah. And like, maybe it is, but that's like, I don't know. It's also like, not just that, you know? Um, And I think that that's kind of the thing is like, when you're in a space where you feel like someone is trying to use your identity to limit your sense of humanity by being like, you're only relegated to pain or you're only relegated to this, like that feels frustrating, right? Whereas instead of being like, can we all just be like, wow, how dope that we're all of these different things. And then also like use that as a, you know, as a site of like possibility rather than as a site of like limitation. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a really good segue for if they come for us, because I feel like part of getting to that place is and healing some of that victimization, for lack of a better word, that we're taught or that comes from so many different directions for us as queer South Asians. Like, I think acknowledging like ancestral trauma and ancestral, like a lot of our our lineages and things that have been erased is so important to them. And I think that's, again, what what moved me about if they come from us and, and a lot of the work that you do, can you speak to that a little bit and, and kind of in relation maybe to what you're talking about in terms of, of coming from a place with love, but also honoring, you know, our histories and our lineages? Yeah, I mean, I think that history is so, so, so deeply important to me, right? Like, I think that I find it incredibly violent to divorce people from their history or, or to kind of like, ha- because it's like revisionism, right? It's like, we are not created in a vacuum and we're not created separate from our communities and from our people and from our history. And I think that there is a way in which like when you live in places like America or other places in the West, and I can only really speak for America because I grew up here. So I don't really know what it's like in, you know, Britain or Canada, but I assume it's similar just from conversations I've had with folks is like, there is a way that folks will like America tries very actively to erase its history or to kind of like reinvent its history. Right. So like, there's not really a lot of way that like America reckons with like the history of slavery or indigenous genocide. Right. And then they kind of like keep building on top of this and like fueling an, a nationalist project to talk about like we're the land of the free where everyone is created equal. Right. What, and like, but the, the playing field was never equal. And so by fueling a lot of this like rhetoric on top of that, like, people aren't really offered like a fair chance, right? Because like the, the odds are stacked against them. And that to me is like a problematic of history, right? It's a problematic of like the way that America refuses to reckon with like these like really terrible um, things that it's done, right? And in terms of like South Asia, I feel a very similar way where like a lot of my poetry book is about or deals with the idea of partition um, and the ways that like partition happened in 1947, but also like, these divides were being created by the British and stoked by the British and also by ourselves pre 47, but then also continue post. Right. And like the ways that like partition, I feel like still shows up as a South Asian person for me, like all the time. Right. And that's really obvious. Like that's like evidenced by like, you know, the kind of thing that happened between Kashmir and Pakistan and and India a few weeks ago, but it's also just evident in like the way people speak, right. And the way that people talk about like country and, and nation and the ways that like, you know, you can kind of look to like, different violence that happened across Pakistan and India, right? Um, is like these wounds are not healed and they're not healed because they're not adequately talked about, addressed or recovered from. So there's kind of a way in which we just continue to keep going and going and going without really understanding some of the, the history that we came from and without fully being able to restore and, and like have a, these kind of conversations in our community that are really, really important about ancestral trauma you know, and what we're talking about is like 47, like that's like not even to talk about like the trauma of colonization or like anything before, or even 71 with Pakistan and Bangladesh, right? Like, I think that there's kind of these ways in which we just erase and really thrive in silence. And that's not okay to me. And so there's always parts of history that are in my work, right? And and I think that's sometimes different in screen and it's sometimes different in poetry and it's sometimes different in any medium that I take on. But like history is a very, very important thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so evident in your work. And I think I would love to know more about how you personally, I, I don't know what's the right way to phrase this, but how do you kind of acknowledge that those parts of your identities and like fuel that into your work? Like how do you turn it into... Maybe that's a a bigger question or a really vague question, but I'm trying to get at like, 
how these identities kind of fuel your work and how you're able to, as an artist, like create out of that. What's your process? And then kind of like, what do you come out of it with? And and how do you kind of move on to the next thing or the envision the next thing? Can you talk a little bit about just your process overall with that stuff? You know, I really, I really can't, I, I think, in the sense of, I find that question really, really hard to answer without saying like it's in the work, right? Like, um, I don't know how else to say that. Like, I don't, I don't really know how else I can talk about like, like my identity is mine. And that is something that, like I said before, will always impact what I do because it's the lens through which I see everything. Um, but it's in my, it's so in my work that I don't really know how to like talk about that other than showing you the work, you know? Um, so I don't really have a good answer for that other than like, it's there and it's just part of me. Yeah, no, that that's fair. I would love for maybe our listeners w- would benefit from listening about maybe just like what's inspired you along the way. Like, do you have like things that that have impacted you in terms of as a writer, as a creator, or as, a, you know, writing for the series? Like, can you point to anything or talk about any kind of influences besides like, of course, your identity and your your lens is going to be what it is and, and present in your work. But are there any things that kind of impacted you along the way or, or kind of birthed your creative process in any way? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. I think that there's just no way that you actually can create work that's not inspired by the world. You are you know what I'm saying? Like you don't create, you can't create in things in a vacuum. Like everything yeah. is inspired by what's happening and by other artists and by conversations I have with my friends and by all of this stuff. So to really kind of trace some of that lineage is, would be wild. Um, but I think that there is a lot of poets I really love. Like Ross Gay is one of, you know, my favorite poets. I really love the work of Safia Hello, who, um, you know, I co-edited an anthology with that's coming out this week. I really love like my, a lot of my collective members in Dark Noise who are, you know, Jamila Woods, Denise Smith, Franny Choi, Aaron Samuels, and Nate Marshall. Um, I'm really inspired by Angel Nafis and Hanif Abdurakib and Gava Akbar. There's just so many different people that I feel really lucky that I get to actually be in literal conversation with and in literary and artistic conversation with. Yeah, absolutely. I think also one of the, or a few of the the themes that come up in your book really struck me in terms of as a South Asian who grew up here, the idea of home and like, not only in, in terms of the history that we've talked about a little bit, but just in terms of like, what does that mean? And like, tracing that for our families across like actual borders. Can you talk a little bit about that notion of home that and what that meant for you? Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's something that is better answered in the poems than it is answered by me talking sure. about because I think it's something that I really like really worked hard to grapple with, yeah. you know, um, and I'm I kind of uh, constantly grappling with and I don't have anything yeah. to answer for. I think about home all the time and I feel like I'm always trying to go, trying to figure out like what is home is there a way to get back to home? Is home even in the past or is it in the future or is it present? And is home in people or is it in land or is it in language? I think I'm, these are kind of questions that I'm always thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know um, what you're kind of working on next or always in progress, I'm sure. But is there anything that you can talk about in terms of your current like projects or anything like that? Yeah, I'm working on a novel right now um, that is set to be published in 2021. Um, we'll see if if I can meet my deadline. <laughs> yeah, I'm just working on some other like film and TV stuff. And um, Brown Girls is coming to HBO, right? Is that a new process as well for you? You know, we're in development with Brown Girls. Development okay. is a really long thing. Yeah. Okay. And 
I also ask all my guests at some point, if you could give your younger self in whatever form that means to you, any advice, what, what do you think it would be? You know, practically it would probably be to like floss more and, you know, work and sleep more. Um, but I think that there is also just, I would just say like, you know, you're, you're okay. You're going to be fine. And like to maybe like spend a little less time, like hating myself, you know, um, and, and to just say that. So. Absolutely. I think, I think that's great advice. And I also, I'll end with kind of this like lingering thought that I always have. And I kind of asked just, just to you as like a person that's trying to uplift these stories, like, how do you envision like, I hate to use the word representation after what we've talked about, but like, how do you envision like uplifting queer and South Asian narratives to like change and shift as it has in recent years? Like as a creator, is that something that you see or envision or feel is shifting? And and how do you think the community can kind of rally around that? Even just uplifting one another ourselves, but also like finding the mediums that are right for us to do so. I think that we as particularly as like queer and South Asian people really need to support each other. Like, I just feel like sometimes we don't support each other as much as we could. And it's really, really important, I think, to like ride for each other and to like also like allow folks the ability to make mistakes, but still ride for each other. Right. Like, I think we're all kind of like figuring out some things, but I think it's just really important to kind of have that like sense of like, patience and love and forgiveness as we're figuring that out, but also to like show up and be like, what does it mean to like collaborate with each other intentionally? Like, what does it mean to like really, really like kind of like look out for each other in a way um, that's like, you know, kind of can be from anywhere from being like supporting each other's work to actually like, you know, really like focusing on, on things like collaboration and, and community, because I think that um, there's so many spaces in which that's lacking with us. And we are worse for it. We are only as as strong as our community. And it's really, really important for us, I think, to kind of like lock in on that support. Yeah, absolutely. I think like for me, that's been part of my process as well in, in growing and learning is finding that community as well. Like obviously a, a more digital age has helped with that, but I think there's still so much that comes in between that kind of access or or ability. And I think as a community, like we struggle to find those ways to like show up for each other and accept that like this is going to be an ongoing thing and that there are hurdles that are systemic that are in our way, but also accessing that can also still be difficult in certain ways. And, and what does it mean to show up for each other and that that definition kind of always evolves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just to close out, if you want to um, shout out your, your website and your social media or anything where folks can kind of follow your work. Yeah, my website is www.fatimaesker.com. And my social media, both on Instagram and Twitter, is at Usker the Grouch. And Usker is my last name, A-S-G-H-A-R. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything I didn't ask that you you wanted to talk about? Queer South Asian folks don't often get to talk about their own stories and their own work. So is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon? Um, no, I think that's good. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Fatima. It was really great to talk to you. And, and thank you for being on Queering Daisy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.